You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 180 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and not joining me in the kitchen studio this week is uh, my co-host Matt Smith because he is currently on holiday in a caravan somewhere in the UK. But with me back in the uh, the virtual studio this week, uh, we have got uh, the wonderful host of the show who's going to join us and that is Sir Neville Bounds. Hi Neville. Hello, matey. How are you? Are you well? I'm very good, Nev. Yeah, I've managed to get everything at work this week. What, what do you good, think? I was just about to congratulate <laughs> you on that, but uh, that might be too soon because anything could happen in the next two hours, as we know. But, anything uh, could happen. Yeah, great to be back on the show again, and uh, yeah, good to see everybody. Great, great. So we have got a guest joining us uh, live via Skype as well from across the uh, well across the pond. So welcome back onto the show. He's everyone's favourite uncle. It's Mr. Micah. Why, hello, Carlos. Hi, Nev. Couldn't you guys find somebody more qualified to come in here? I don't understand why I've made it. <laughs> Micah, Micah, we, we had to have you on the show. You haven't, we haven't heard from you for ages. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's wonderful to be able to join you guys. So how are things in the world of uh, Micah then? How's, uh, how's everything uh, been going your side of the, uh, the uh, pond? Maine is just beautiful, and I will tell you a little bit later on when we get to that uh, about my Blue Angel story, which will become an actual story sometime soon, but I'll give you a few details about that later on when we get toward the end of the show. Excellent. So we're going to say a massive welcome then in the chat room to everyone who's joined us this evening in there. We've uh, we've had some really early starts. Actually, Liz was in the chat room really early uh, today, earlier on, well, before we even went live. So uh, hello to you, Liz. Jeff Braithwaite. Owen's in the chat room. Dan Hannington's just popped up. So hello to you, Dan. And uh, there's a phone going off. <laughs> hey, Micah. And, was that uh, me? That was you, oh. yeah. And Mariana. We've What's got Mariana. And uh, Mash is also in the chat room. And we've got uh, Neville Bounds as well. He's in the chat room as well. Hello to you, Nev. Oh, oh yes. So I am. <laughs> but we've got loads of news stories to go through this week, uh, as always. We've got uh, some great stories and uh, other bits and pieces. We've also got a great segment from uh, Nev, another one of his passenger experience segments. And we've also got uh, one of our interviews that uh, Nev took as well at the Seething Charity Air Day a few weeks back when, uh, when all the team were there. And uh, we've got that to come up as well. So uh, I think we're going to start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're all ready, guys. We are ready, sir. Ready over here. Let's go. Soaking off this week's first news story then, this is on the independent.co.uk website and uh, the headline is Airline Cuts, uh, Blankets and Earphones on Transatlantic Flights as Price War Heats Up. 
So uh, the uh, in-flight blankets and earphones are the latest casualties in the transatlantic budget airline war. Uh, for one month from today, or from one month today, Aer Lingus uh, will remove these frills for passengers on the cheapest fares from Dublin to North American destinations. Passengers who purchase the Irish Airlines new saver tickets will also lose the right to select the seat in advance and check-in bag, uh, a free bag, um, free of charge. Only one 10-kilo piece of cabin baggage is going to be allowed. Uh, but they will save €40, Euros, which is around about £36, each way on the next lowest fares known as SMART fares. Uh, Aer Lingus, which is a sister airline to British Airways, says... Uh, they say that the, uh, d it's designed to meet the diverse needs of today's travellers. Save is here to offer choice and flexibility. Passengers choosing the cheapest option are told that we will allocate you one of the remaining seats at check-in free of charge. They will still receive an in-flight meal. Use of a blanket will cost you three euros uh, no. on each flight. And uh, use of earphones is going to cost you five euros. Uh, and by the way, it doesn't oh. say it in there, but it'll be eight euros if you want your blankets clean, and you'll, it'll be 12 euros if you want the no earwax in the headphones. <laughs> so the story goes on. It says here that uh, the move reflects the intense competition between budget airlines across the Atlantic. Uh, from Manchester, Thomas Cook has created a significant American network. Uh, Norwegian is offering a, US, a range of U.S. links uh, using wide-bodied aircraft from Gatwick and smaller jets from Edinburgh and Belfast. The two Icelandic international carriers, Iceland Air and Wow Air, are competing via Reykjavik to an expanding number of U.S. and Canadian cities. A Danish carrier, Primera Air, aims to launch links to Boston and New York from Birmingham and Sandsford. Meanwhile, BA is cutting seat costs by densifying its fleet uh, of Gatwick-based 777 aircraft. BA are going to squeeze an extra 52 passengers on each plane, mainly oh. by adding an extra seat in or ed to every row in economy, with 10 instead of 9 abreast. Uh, Dublin is an increasingly popular choice among British travellers heading for the US and Canada. It is only, uh, a major air it's the only a major airport in Europe to offer pre-clearance of American passport and custom formalities. And um, it just go it goes on a little bit there, but um, removing I mean blankets I mean that's kind of you you even get a free blanket with um, with, with Ryanair flights so I'm you know a bit worried there as to what's going to happen there Nev. How much can they depopulate all this? I mean, we've talked about the race to the bottom, and we're going there at a fantastic rate of knots, aren't we, uh, currently? I, I just do not understand how they can uh, take all this stuff away. Some of it is um, a bit superfluous, and, and I think it was Masha said in the chat room, well, people bring their own earbuds usually, don't they? So why would they want to? Say, yeah. How anybody else's? So uh, yeah, amazing. I prefer to use my own hear, 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 oh, headphones when I'm flying. What about you, Mike? I always try to bring my own, but I'm usually listening to my own product too. I'm not usually plugged into the uh, uh, to the passenger system unless I'm on United when they used to have Channel Nine, and you could listen to the uh, to the mm. crew and the conversations happening on the radio. But you know, this isn't really new. American, either American or U.S. Air, who are now the same airline, they combined did this many years ago and eliminated blankets. Uh, because they were doing it not so much to save money uh, from having them, but to save weight on the plane. And they eliminated blankets, they eliminated the playing cards, the headphones, they sell anyway. 
at least many airlines do. I know JetBlue sells headphones if you don't have your own, but I don't think the headphones are going to be an issue, but a blanket might be. Although also, and uh, I sort of joked about this, the blankets on the aircraft are known to be filthy. You really don't want to wrap yourself up in a blanket unless you have to because you don't know when they're washed. And uh, and I certainly would not want to go over one uh, with a black light unless it came out of the plastic bag having just recently been cleaned. But um, I, I'm being very serious. You know, they are very, very filthy and they carry a lot of germs, just like the tray table. It's something when you get on an aircraft, you want to wipe down with a uh, with a hand wipe. You know, I've seen uh, people changing their babies on the tray table and that somebody else is going to eat yeah. off of that. Um, <laughs> so you 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 got to think about those things. But it's, it's not an unusual thing. And yes, will a circle be unbroken is the story that I wrote about this. It's a race to the bottom and it just continues to grow. Yeah. I'm, guess, I'm guessing, Nev, when you fly uh, BA, you probably have a set of nice set of Bose uh, headphones that you use to listen to if you're if you're going playing. Well, I do actually. I I borrow Mrs. Nev's set that I uh, bought her a few years ago, and they are really good. And anyone that's got a set of noise cancelling headphones, Bose are some of the best, but there's Sennheiser and Shaw and others as well. Uh, but they are really really good, and it, there's no doubt about it. It does cut down the um, the ambient noise, and if you have trouble sleeping on an aircraft. It's a, it's a big help, I would say. Uh, but also, you've got to be a bit careful because uh, on the uh, descent into an airport, very often um, you forget to clear your ears. And so you can up, can up, end up with at about sort of 6,000 feet with a really bad headache because you've forgotten to yawn or what have you uh, <laughs> on the way down. But, uh, uh, but no, the, I think noise-cancelling headphones are one of the best inventions ever, really. Definitely, definitely. I travel with my Bose too. There they are, and uh, they are just absolutely fabulous. There are other companies that make them, but I've never heard any that sound better than these, I've got to say. And by the way, beautiful Barbara Parrish just said in the chat room she never brings her own headphones because she doesn't own any. So can one of you guys find a pair of cheap headphones and hand them to Barbara next time you see her? <laughs> I mean, that's just not right. <laughs> I'm sure we can find one of our uh, professional audio vendors to help out here, Micah. I think that's something that we really need to do, don't you, Carlos? Nice pair of Sennheiser. I think my DJing ones, I think the Sennheiser ones I've got, um, which are, are quite a nice, uh, quite a nice quality headphone. But I haven't. The only noise cancelling headphones that I do actually own, funnily enough, are the headset that I use for when I'm flying, which have uh, a built-in noise cancelling part of them, and um, that definitely does make one heck of a difference when you click that button and uh, it cuts in. And uh, cuts literally does cut every single piece of engine noise out when you're flying. But yeah, love that, love those, uh, love those headphones. Hadn't had a chance to use them for a little while yet. So hopefully in the next few weeks' time uh, or three weeks' time, I'm going to try and get uh, back into the uh, back into the left seat of a, of a 150 at some point. But moving on, next story, Micah. This is uh, one for you. Ryanair to add five routes from Dublin next summer. Ryanair has disclosed. And I really feel bad that Matt's not here because this is really his story. He always gets this Ryanair story. But Ryanair has disclosed plans to operate a handful of new routes from Dublin. The budget airline says we'll fly twice a week to Marrakesh, twice a day to Munich, five times a week to Naples, twice a week to Paphos, and daily to Stuttgart from the Irish capital starting on March 2018. Ryanair is also increasing the frequency of its Dublin-Hamburg service. I think I had a Dublin Hamburg the other day. It was really good with extra <laughs> menu. 
Flight Global schedules, uh, schedules data indicates that the carrier previously served Marrakesh from Dublin but stopped in March. And Matt is texting me and I need to really turn off my phone. Uh, <laughs> the Moroccan route is not operated by any other scheduled carrier. Irish flag carrier Aer Lingus flies to Naples, Munich and Stuttgart from Dublin. Lufthansa and Trans Transavia also operate the Munich route. Dublin currently has no air link to Paphos. More routes for uh, Ryanair. It probably helps that they've got some new aircraft coming online very soon with the Max. Um, but I did, there did, I did read a story actually, uh, which is coming up later, which is quite an interesting story regarding uh, regarding Ryanair and the purchase possible purchase of uh, some aircraft of a certain airline. Did and uh, well, that'll come up later, so we can't really sort of talk too much about that now. You don't want <laughs> anyone else know. But uh, what do you think about that one, Nev? Yeah, I mean, they are always expanding, aren't they? There's always stuff going on with that airline, and uh, they, they are buying aircraft like there's no tomorrow. And they, you know, I think they're, I can't remember, they're, they're certainly not Boeing's biggest customer, but, but they're, they're one of the biggest. And, uh, I mean, from a spares point of view and from a crew training point of view, it must be superb not, not having mixed fleet, just sticking to one type of aircraft. I think just like uh, Southwest did as well, Michael, if I'm uh, correct. That's, that's Southwest one of the, is all 737s. One of the reasons that they did that was just to keep the crew training and the maintenance uh, cost sensible. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great model, uh, and there'll be more of it, I'm sure. So, Nev... As you're there, you've got uh, the next uh, story, and uh, it's a special one, obviously, for you, as always. Yes, it's a British Airways story, and it's on in the mirror, uh, .co.uk, and it says that BA unveils new direct route from London Gatwick to major Canadian city. With Canada celebrating its 150th anniversary this year, the North American country has enjoyed a surge of tourism as visitors flock to check out its breathtaking national parks and bustling cities. Unsurprisingly, airlines and air travel companies have had to up their game in order to meet the increasing demand, and now British Airways has just raised the stakes. The airline is set to launch a new route to the vibrant city of Toronto in 2018 departing from London Gatwick's South Terminal. This marks the first time that BA is offering a route to Canada from Gatwick, although it already offers flights to Toronto from its London Heathrow base. And we both know that because we've both done that, haven't we, Carlos? Oh, yes. And, uh, the new route is set to take off in May 2018 and will feature three flights per week to give passengers plenty of flexibility for travel dates. As for the fares, well, the return fare from Gatwick will start from £453 and they're already available to book on the BA website. And it's not the only expansion that the airline is making to its flight network. It's a fact. Uh, in fact, it's also set to relaunch its service from London Gatwick to Las Vegas, which it stopped back in 2015, which I never understood why it did. I mean, that, that was always a, a profitable route, I thought, and every time I took it, it was always a very uh, full, uh, full flight. Uh, but the new route will come back into effect in March 2018 with fle three flights per week departing from Gatwick's South Terminal and fares for that service uh, are from £699 and Sean Doyle who's British Airways Director of Networks and Alliances said Gatwick has always offered a great range of long-haul destinations but adding Toronto and Las Vegas to the summer schedule will take the number of transatlantic routes to 21 making Canada, the US and the Caribbean more accessible than ever before. It's particularly exciting to be adding Canada the list of places our customers will be able to explore from Gatwick and we look forward to welcoming our Canadian customers into London. So a good news story for a change from BA. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see actually, Nev, how their fares um, are going to compare 
um, between Air Canada and obviously because I've flown with Air Canada, uh, uh, you know, across from the UK to uh, to Toronto, it'd be interesting to see just how much um, the fare prices differ between mm. BA and Air Canada. You're right. And normally in these situations, I'm not suggesting for one moment there would ever be a cartel, but it's quite obvious that where there's only two carriers serving a route, the prices tend to be fairly similar. So it'll be interesting to see how, how the prices do in fact come up and what the load factors are as well. That's the other thing, because if, if they can't make, uh, if they have a lot of economy passengers, for example, and not many uh, premium economy or business class passengers on those services, then they will not make much money. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But uh, no, good to see a new service being launched anyway. Now, Gatwick is not primarily a business airport. It's more of a vacation airport, is it not? I don't know a yeah, whole lot yeah, about I mean, it. But. It used to be a, the holiday airport, really, but there's still a lot of scheduled business services from there. It still suffers from the problem of having only one active runway, and I think it's one of the busiest single runway ops uh, in the world, actually, not just in Europe now. And they do a very good job down there of uh, keeping the traffic flowing. But, um, yeah, it is getting very overcrowded, though. So, uh, But it'll be interesting to see how, how they do with this uh, service anyway. Well, you know what this means, too, with this new service and out of Gatwick, and now that they have service from Gatwick and they also have it from Heathrow, is that then with, you know, return trips at 4.53, which isn't too terrible, that means there's no excuse for you guys not to be visiting lovely Liz. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've got to do it, haven't we? We've got to do it. It'll be interesting to say, actually, Nev, because on the, on the story um, for this well, particular story on the picture there, it shows a 747, obviously one of the BA's fleet of 747s. Mm. I wonder whether they'll use that or one of their uh, A380s on that, on that route. No, I, I understood they were going to run a 777 service on that route okay. um, and probably featuring the one that went up in flames in uh, Las Vegas as well because that's all now back in service and working nicely. It is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, the 747 or the 380 will feature on that route initially. I think they're just going to see how the load factors go, which is why they're going to stick a, a 777 on it and see how it goes. That would make sense to me. I think it would be much more economical with the two engines as opposed to either of the four. And the size difference in terms of passenger capacity between the 74 and the 777 is just not that much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. We love the queen of the skies. We do. Yes, exactly. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the foxnews.com uh, website. And the headline is, Delta pilots may have incentive to fly airlines' louder, older planes. So junior pilots uh, and Delta may have just discovered an easier route to promotion. Just fly a loud, annoying plane that no one else wants to. It's a bit harsh, I think. So the MD-88 jets, the last model in McDonnell Douglas's MD-80 series, uh, first took to the skies in 1987 and were frequently used for short uh, to mid-range flights, reports airliners.net. According to Bloomberg, the MD-88s, or Mad Dogs, as we all know they're called, are sometimes referred to, are also the oldest aircraft in operation in, at uh, any major U.S. Uh, carrier and are frequently used for shorter flights than larger Boeing models or Airbus aircraft. Many airlines replaced their MD-88 aircraft in the 2000s, but Delta isn't retiring uh, the last of its mad dogs uh, for another three years, Bloomberg reports. Uh, what's more, Delta tells Fox News that seasoned senior pilots are typically allowed more freedom to choose their routes, which means many are opting for longer-haul flights that afford them better schedules and utilize larger Boeing or Airbus aircraft. 
Uh, the MD-88, on the other hand, are reserved for shorter flights, which means more legs and a more hectic schedule for any pilot who has to fly one. But for young pilots that don't mind the route to promotion is perhaps closer than ever before. Less pilots wanting to sit in the MD-88 cockpit means more opportunities for the younger pilots to captain those planes, rather than simply serving as a first officer. Some reportedly make the jump in as little as six months, as opposed to the years-long process that it could take to pilot a larger, uh, longer-haul flight. Regardless, Delta spokesman Michael Thomas told Bloomberg that Delta has confidence in all its pilots, no matter what plane they're flying or how long it took them to get into the captain's seat. We hire folks who have the qualifications and airmanship and aptitude to become captains with Delta, he said. Many seasoned pilots, though, uh, still seem to prefer flying a longer haul flight with a bigger aircraft than the MD-88, if given the option. According to Bloomberg, the MD-88's less desirable characteristics include narrow and unforgiving giving cockpits, which don't allow for freedom of movement, as well as skylight uh, eyebrow windows that were once used by pilots as a way to navigate by the stars, <laughs> but produce more glare. Aviation buffs have also taken notice of how noisy the aircraft can be, with some describing the takeoff as sounding like a buzzsaw. Uh, and a, a rattle and roar, or a vacuum starting in reverse. U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer uh, even commented on the MD-88's noise issues in May of 2017 when Delta announced they would no longer be flying its aircraft to the, uh, out of the LaGuardia airport. We welcome Delta Airlines' positive and responsive decision to retire these aircraft, which will prefer, uh, provide some much-needed noise relief uh, to all nearby neighbours, said Schumer at the time, uh, reports Aviation Tribune. On the whole, however, passengers themselves don't generally uh, mind the MD-88, uh, as one side of the aircraft features uh, only two uh, rows of seats, giving more options for aisle or window placement. Delta has reportedly revamped the interiors of its remaining planes, even adding uh, 25 spots for Comfort Plus seating. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a bashing, really. I think for uh, for the MD88. What do you what do you guys think? Well, I like it. I mean, I used to fly the MD80. Sorry, as a passenger, uh, not in the front seat. Uh, the MD81, 82, 83, and 87 when SAS were operating them, and I flew them extensively for oh gosh, about ten years. And they're a tremendously versatile aircraft. But you want to be either in the middle uh, from about row 14 forwards and the time you get to the front it is extremely quiet you do not particularly want to be in about row 25 or 28 because <laughs> it is very noisy at the back but they're, they're a great aircraft and of course uh, delta would have paid for these years ago so actually they're a very uh, perhaps they're not the most environmentally friendly aircraft but they're very economical to operate i would imagine and they've all been fitted with um, hush kits now so they're, they're not as anywhere near as noisy as they were but i think there's the, the article there's given them a bit of an unnecessary bashing don't you Definitely. Jeff commented on this um, because, you know, he flies the MD-88, MD-90 series for Acme, and he commented on this, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but there are a number of things wrong with the story, and the reporter obviously also is not particularly uh, engaged in aircraft reporting. Uh, for one thing, he said that the uh, MD-90 was the last of the uh, the um, uh, 
products designed by McDonnell Douglas, and that's not true. They designed the MD-95, which became the Boeing 717 when Boeing bought uh, McDonnell Douglas. So yeah. it's it's the same aircraft. It was a, it's a McDonnell Douglas design, but it's a completely different uh you know, aircraft. It's a it's a modern one. Also, um, Schumer is talking about the fact that the MD-88s won't be going into uh, LaGuardia any longer. And yeah, that's true. The MD-90s will continue too. They have a different engine, so they're a little quieter. But to most people, it's the same aircraft. You're not going to be able to tell the difference. And the pilots flying one will be flying the other because they interchange. Jeff never knows which one he's going to get on until he's on it, more or less. Yeah. Uh, and I wish I could remember what Jeff said about it, but he talked quite a bit about how silly this article is so Marianne. do you remember anything about it nev what he said yes and i think there was a discussion about uh, r nav approaches and, and that kind of stuff uh, and the kit that the md90 was fitted with compared to the md88 but i think it, this is a bit of a scare story really i i think there's a little bit of um a bit too much uh, not a hype but i think the, the, there's just uh a little bit of lack of truth in the, in this story because let's face it I mean, if you think about the revenue that these aircraft have earned for the carrier over so many years um yeah there's obviously maintenance ongoing there, there's you know uh, and the manufacturer will only support it up to a certain amount of time i guess but yeah they, they've certainly been a, a very good workhorse um for the airline and for many others around the world. Certainly a lot of European airlines used to operate them and uh, Alitalia, British Midland, say SAS uh, being some of the biggest uh, operators too. So uh, yeah, good aircraft though. And I flew them regularly too and agree with you. I flew them even back when it was a DC-9 before it got mm. converted into the MD-88. And mm. they were always very comfortable and very, very quiet if you were anywhere not by the engines because it is noisy yeah. in the back when you're sitting right next to an engine in fact one of some couple of seats don't have windows because the engines are right next to you um, yeah. but and one of the great things about them is that they're five across it's two seats on one side and three on the other which makes it a much more comfortable airplane for people on that two seat side so yeah. I don't understand why people are complaining Mariana no, Mariana's made a really good point in the chat room actually guys that mad dogs are more mechanical with fewer electronics to break down that I do agree with that actually. Yeah, they're fly by wire because when you pull on the wire, it pulls on the cables. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, no, I think it's it, it's been. Um, I think the thing to re to remember is that uh, this aircraft, uh, its safety record is phenomenal as well. The whole of the MD uh, series and DC9 before that has has been fantastic, and I would imagine that uh, it's a very much a, a pilot's aircraft from what people tell me. And I think that's uh, it's given such good service over so many decades, so they they shouldn't bash it too much. I don't think. I can remember. I remember back in the eighties uh, flying on board uh, British Island Airways, and this is going back because that island, uh, airline finished many years ago, and flying on a BAC-111, uh, which was uh, also a, a very yep. similar very similar aircraft to uh, to the McDonnell Douglas kind of MD-88, kind of MD-87 um, MD kind of thing, but same type of aircraft. But uh, I, can, I can always remember that being... Um, quite noisy at the at the back end oh, yeah. of that aircraft yeah, yeah. and those uh, uh, rolls royce uh, i think spay engines spay. on those yeah. uh, they were screamers and I, even in the, the, the starting up they were really really loud uh, they were hush kitted towards the end of their life but again yeah. you know very good um, aircraft for sort of short to to medium haul uh, usage certainly in the european uh, area, I would say. I also remember fond memories of watching the aircraft take uh, uh, take off from uh, Dubrovnik um, when we were in Yugoslavia 
and that was where we travelled to with them. And seeing the aircraft taking off, leaving two thick black pools or plumes of smoke yes. behind the engine <laughs> yes. behind <Yeah. laughs> that uh, does always stand out. Yep, absolutely. But uh, no, again, you know, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, were operated as well in uh, North Africa too. So again, it's it's a really versatile aircraft. But you know, unfortunately, with the um, uh, the environmental things as it was as it is, uh, they tend to get um, shut down fairly quickly these yeah. days. But none, nonetheless, a, a good aircraft. So, Micah, next story is uh, all for you. Yes, Southwest Airlines takes its first 737 MAX from Boeing. And Southwest has taken delivery of the first Boeing company 737 MAX jetliner, making the Dallas-based company the first North American carrier for the quieter, more fuel-efficient plane. The first Southwest MAX, named for MAX Flight of the Airplane Geeks, landed at <laughs> Dallas Love Field on Tuesday, but the company canceled an employee celebration to mark the occasion in Dallas because of the devastation in Houston caused by Hurricane Harvey. Boeing, the Southwest, Pilot, uh, the Southwest, Pi Southwest Pilots Union, and others tweeted about the initial MAX arrival in Dallas. The MAX has smashed sales records at Chicago-based Boeing. The plane entered the commercial market in May with Malaysia-based Malindo Airways. Check out this slideshow if you're on the site. You can't do that. We'll it's, skip it's that on paragraph. It's on at the minute. Okay. For images and details about the Max rollout as well as a Boeing and as well as Boeing and Southwest. The Max is a narrow body jetliner series developed by Boeing as a successor to the 737 Next Generation series. It's the fourth generation of the 737 family, with the main changes being used of the larger and more efficient Leap 1B engines, split tip winglets, and modifications to the airframe. Southwest, Southwest expects to take delivery of eight more MAX aircraft in September and plans to launch nine MAX aircraft into revenue service throughout its network on October 1st. Southwest has ordered 200 of the MAX planes. After 46 years of unprecedented success, Southwest Airlines has a lot more to do and a lot more places to go, said Gary Kelly, the carrier's chairman and CEO. Today, we have the airplane to take us there. The MAX opens up a new chapter of efficiency, reliability, and comfort to the Southwest fleet, Kelly added in a statement on Wednesday, and it is increased range, and its increased range allows us to take our low fares even farther. Southwest has selected its original Texas trio of cities, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio, for the new Jetliner's inaugural route. The new plane will use 20% less fuel than the old, older 737 jets that Southwest is retiring. The new planes are also quieter, which will be welcome for new for welcome news for residents and business businesses near Dallas Love Field, where Southwest dominates with 90% of boardings and has been rapidly adding flights. Kelly said the 737 Max, because of its increased range, could make m about a half dozen South American destinations feasible. In the oh, click show full article. In the big picture, Southwest is following the worldwide market trend. A commercial aviation market forecast from Boeing shows strong demand to replace older and less fuel-efficient airplanes between now and 2032. Of 35,280 new airplanes to be delivered worldwide by 2032, about 24,670 will be single-aisle aircraft with 90 to 230 seats, such as the 737 MAX series Boeing forecast, Boeing's forecast shows. Meanwhile, 
Fort Worth-based American Airlines will base its first Boeing 737 MAX at its Miami International Airport hub with plans to enter new markets and replace other aircraft. The carrier will take advantage of the range and fuel efficiency to open new markets and improve our performance in certain markets from Miami, Americans said in an employee newsletter on August 17th. American previously announced that it will debut the 737 MAX on flights between Miami and New York LaGuardia on November 29th. The airline expects to take delivery of four of the planes by the end of the year, with the first due in September. American will take six more in 2018 and has 100 aircraft on order. Looks like it's going to be another great airplane. And a busy time as well for Boeing. We all know Boeing have uh, got quite a um, quite a big backlog of aircraft, and obviously with the Maxes and stuff, um, they roll, they'll start to obviously roll these out. And, uh, I mean, Ryanair have got a massive uh, order for those on. I think it's 80. 80 plus aircraft the Maxis they're going to be uh, having as well and um, I think it's good news as well for uh, for employment I mean the employment at uh, at the Boeing factory must be pretty damn good with all these new aircraft that they're um, having to roll out at a rate of knots do you remember well, it, not not that long ago uh, and maybe this was about this time last year actually the the factory production was slowing down a bit because of lack of customers orders and there was people not actually doing a, a five-day week but that seems to have gone completely the other way now doesn't it uh, micah well you know they've uh they're doing really well on the 737, but as uh, we've heard uh, recently, I think here and in other places, that the 747 line is, you know, closing down slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that was keeping them open was the uh, um, VC-25, the Air Force One. And now that those aircraft have been found and they're not going to be built, I suppose mm -hmm. they're going to be really closing down that 747 line. And so I think, it, you know, some open, some close. It, uh, the company, I'm sure, knows what they're doing. What's interesting, I think, about the 737 is they have done everything they can do to it. And if you think <laughs> think about it, you know, that they, they don't make the 757 anymore because they're trying to make the 75 replace it, uh, 737 replace it, which they're really having a hard time with because it doesn't quite have the power. It doesn't have the length. And the uh, the size of the fuselage is the same now with that 737 as it was from the very, very first one. It's really a narrow fuselage so it's a great aircraft don't get me wrong but uh, they're trying to make it do things that it wasn't designed to do I, I wouldn't Max, I uh, yeah i wouldn't dream of telling boeing how to make an aircraft obviously but just looking at the ground clearance of those engines on the 737 <laughs> max it, oh. it does worry me i have to say yeah. well, what do you guys think about it uh, i i absolutely agree with you and i remember seeing some uh, file pictures and stuff when when the uh, max was first um I think when it's first rolled out of the hang with the engines and stuff all on ready for its test flight and um, the picture that was taken by the photographer was a kind of front on view and I, I remember looking and thinking wow that is that's there's not a lot of room there not a lot of room for movement I wonder who the first captain or first officer will be uh, to have a pod strike on that in a crosswind landing <laughs> Well, you know, and Max Flight, the, the namesake of the aircraft, I made that up, by the way, but uh, he's the, the engine expert for the airplane geeks, has talked about that low clearance and how that has caused a lot of difficulty in terms of designing new engines for the aircraft to make it a, a more powerful or a different aircraft or give it different flight characteristics because with that low clearance, they have not changed the wing. They have not changed the placement of the wing, and that low clearance has been there Pretty much from the, uh, not from the first aircraft, which had a completely different engine. I don't oh, know yeah. what it was, but the it was Pratt a narrower Whitney, engine. The JT-8D, yeah. So, yeah, to the, to the current one, where they just can't make the engine any larger. 
they have to make it more efficient in other ways. Actually, yeah, Lane, Lane the, Street. the CFM series and a few others had that, that, that flat uh, bottom to it as well, didn't they, just to try and compensate for, yes. uh, for that, yeah. I was going to say, Lane Street in the chat room has just pointed out something very um, very true, that um, that the 747-8F, the freighter version, is still uh, is still doing sort of reasonably well for, for Boeing. It's just a shame that more airlines didn't kind of uh, take the uh, the passenger variant of the uh, the dash eight because i think uh, it does look it does look really amazing close up yeah absolutely. it is a beautiful aircraft but well we're going to have another story i think in fact not the next story the story after that we'll talk a little bit about what's happening with four engine aircraft these days so moving on to the next story then and uh absolutely love this uh, this story <laughs> this is really 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 good so come on nev Tell us yes, go on, isn't it? It's in the on the Daily Mail online, and of course you've got to have a headline with this. So it says uh, he's got a shed for heights. Ha ha ha! <laughs> grandfather, fifty-three, which isn't, isn't that old for a grandfather, I have to say, spends a hundred thousand pounds and five years converting his garden outhouse into flight simulators for a Boeing seven three seven and a Lynx helicopter. Uh, a retired airman from a long line of RAF veterans has spent more than a hundred thousand pounds and five painstaking years building th uh, these aircraft simulators in his garden shed. Uh, Kenneth Mockford, uh, 53, has used all of his spare time building two Boeing 737s and a Lynx helicopter cockpit piece by piece from his Cambridgeshire home. His simulators have even used cabin seats, a departure lounge uh, and a, a faux passport control with all parts taken from real planes and airports and a 3D printer used to produce all of those that he could not source. Training pilots have now used his simulator to practice and pass their flight exams. Uh, of course, just at the critical point, my uh, screen has decided to freeze there, but we'll, we'll carry on. I think we're OK. Um, and uh, there's some uh, pictures there of uh, of his setup. And it looks absolutely fantastic. He must have spent uh, hours and hours and hours doing this stuff. And um, I think that uh, he also says that uh, he's dedicated years uh, creating the three working simulators in his shed, building them himself with parts from actual cockpits from uh, that he's bought from around the world. Mr. Mockford descends from a line of RAF servicemen and a Victoria Cross winner and himself served in the South African Air Force. His father, Ray, his uncle, Stanley Mockford, grandfather, Arthur, and great-uncle, Durf Mockford, all served in the RAF. Durf even invented the international recognised distress call, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. Mr Mockford said, my dad mainly inspired me when I got involved in cockpits many, many years ago. Uh, more and more photos uh, being shown there. And he's done a nice job of it, hasn't he? There's no, no question about it at all. And um, I think for one of these, um, this is sort of a labour of love, isn't it? Definitely. And it's, he says that we first started mucking about with flight sims uh, then, and we tried to make a little, few little cockpits over over the years as, as, it, uh, as we progressed. We started out with a little box, and eventually it got bigger and bigger. And I said, I'm going to go the whole hog and make a full Boeing 737. Grandfather of one, Mr Mockford, admitted he and his father Ray had gone beyond what most men managed to create in their back garden shed. <laughs> he quit his high-paying job as head of engineering at Baxter Healthcare UK after they decided to turn their shed hobby into a flight simulator business in 2014. Father and son built more than a dozen simulators in the large 9-metre uh, by 5-metre wooden shed and its two side annexes. But 77-year-old Ray tragically died 10 days before he was due to move to open Sim To Do in Mildenhall, Suffolk, 
last August. Mr. Mockford, who opened the UK's only Lynx helicopter simulator available to the public earlier this month, said, we only really wanted to, we only really started to know each other when he came to the UK. And uh, the, again, the electronics and everything to this, it's all very uh, manual labour, isn't it, on, on this, just by looking at, it, looking at it. And he said, uh, before we were very distant with each other, but we became very good friends when he moved to the UK. He would usually sit around and tell me what I'm doing wrong, and I was doing it all. He and his dog, Teddy, would sit next to me and tell me. Now his dog follows me everywhere. It's a reminder of him, and every now and then he sits next to me and asks, what are you doing? And uh, but uh, yeah, a, a superb um, setup there, and it looks incredibly it realistic because it's real, real parts, isn't it? I know, I know. I was just looking at the pictures. Uh, well, I was putting them on on the screen there for everyone who's in the chat room uh, to see. And uh, if you take yourself over to uh, to Daily Mail um, and Grandfather Builds Flight Simulators, you could see the pictures on there. But if you're watching the YouTube stream, you'll see the pictures that I've flagged up on the screen there. While Nev was reading that, but it does, Nev. It looks absolutely just, you know, this is the kind of thing I want in my garage. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think Gemma would appreciate it, but I'd love this in my garage. Uh, but what, what do you think, Micah? It looks amazing. Did, did, did you say, I'm reading it through, that he's in, uh, in Mildenhall? Yes. It's not far from us. I was going to say, that's not far from you. He's somebody that I think you might want to do a remote show from there, uh, uh, Carlos. I think that would be a wonderful place to do a show. Perhaps this is someone we need to uh, we need to get in touch with. Nev, what do you think? I feel I feel another interview coming on. Actually, yes, that's a good idea, isn't it? Excellent thought. Right, I'll make a note of that. Make a note of that. Right. So moving on to uh, to the next story then, and uh, this is this is me. Is it me now? I've lost track. It's now. you. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. So this uh, is on the mro network dot com website. And uh, the headline, Airbus A380 production cuts may affect aftermarket prospects. So uh, we covered a few stories in the past about Airbus uh, cutting production of the A380. Um, Airbus's decision to further reduce um, annual production rates for the A380 from its present level of 15 to 12 next year and 8 by 2019 could lead to significant changes in the Super Jumbo's aftermarket. Confirmed uh, by Airbus in July this year to coincide with its release of uh, it, the results for the first half of the year, the aircraft manufacturer announcement followed its decision to reduce deliveries from 27 aircraft in 2015 down to 15 aircraft. Airbus Chief Executive Tom Enders described the prospect of new orders for the A380 in the near term as not necessarily high, further dampening the prospect of the most expensive program in commercial aviation history. Uh, with 214 aircraft in service as of July 2017 and with a backlog of 103 jets, the European OEM hasn't received any new A380 orders in more than two years. Instead, carriers have been more inclined to look elsewhere at other wide-body aircraft options, with some including Air France among the first A380 operators cancelling its two remaining orders in favour of smaller twin-jet A350s. Uh, according to data from Aviation Week's Fleet and MRO Forecast 2017, over the next 10 years, um, the MRO for the A380 is forecast to generate $25.5 billion with a compound annual growth rate of 7.2%. 
Um, Let me just interrupt you for a second, Carlos, because for those of you who may not know, and I had to look it up myself, MRO is maintenance, repair, and operations, meaning it's aftermarket work done on the aircraft. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but I did mean to interrupt, but I thought it was important (laughs) for our listeners to know who may not understand what we're talking about. No, that's fine. So so as you said, the uh, um, spending on one of its engine options, the Engine Alliance's GP7000, is expected to... uh, to more than double from uh, $324 million in 2017 to a peak of $716 million in 2013. Uh, the other option, uh, the Rolls-Royce Trent 900, is also predicted, uh, predicted to see uh, aftermarket work grow rapidly from next year's $189 million in uh, MRO spending to $681 million dollars in 2023. While data uh, indicates an important opportunity for MROs, particularly in the engine segment, the unique proposition that, uh, that is the A380 will still present obstacles. Uh, Jonathan Berger, Managing Director of uh, Alton Aviation Consultancy, says the production cuts will present a barrier to uh, entry for MRO providers assessing whether to enter the A380 market for several reasons. It could be more difficult to achieve economies of scale and meet shareholder return on investment capital requirements, says uh, Berger. Uh, a significant capital investment is required for facilities, training, tooling and inventory in order to enter the A380 MRO market. As a result, Berger feels that existing MRO providers for the aircraft who invested early in capabilities should benefit from greater leverage and pricing power. Conversely, Berger says that because of secondary market for the aircraft that has not yet developed, significant challenges also exist for MRO providers. And the story goes on, but it's sad really that the the, um, the the sad fact is this aircraft hasn't been around for that longer amount of time um and um it's not there's no kind of really no second-hand market for uh for a380s unfortunately at the moment and obviously emirates being uh the largest operator of the a380 um and i think they did um they did approach i think airbus not so long back to ask for if airbus were going to re-engine um, the A380 to kind of make it a bit more fuel efficient but as we have said you know, a lot of times in the show in the past a lot of these airlines that use the A380s are looking at other ver- or other uh, aircraft to, to, to fill the role such as the 777 and the A350 and the Dreamliner you know, to name but a few. What do you reckon guys? Well I think the thing is with uh, four engine aircraft uh, no matter how fuel efficient they are they are always going to use more maintenance and more fuel than two-engine aircraft. And since the for many years ago, they've got all the ETOP stuff worked out for the North Atlantic route, certainly. Um, you know, um, the, the big two-engine stuff, the 777, even the 767, the 787, all these other aircraft do a pretty good job. And I'm just wondering whether the A380, as a great an aircraft it is, I just wonder whether it was introduced just at the wrong time economically for mm. where the uh, where the passengers were at the time i'd be very interested to find out what the overall load factors are across all the different uh, aircraft uh, sorry air, airlines to see what sort of uh, loads that they're flying with um so um yeah i i just wonder whether it's just come at the wrong time this this aircraft possibly Yeah, I mean, size-wise, it's designed for the long haul, and that's exactly what Emirates does with it, and that's why it really works for Emirates, and uh, and a few other airlines here and there as well. But um, but 
because it can hold it, it certainly holds more passengers than the uh, than the seven four but um the uh but 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 with four engines again it's just not that efficient and um Rick Bell in the chat room said that unless they come up with a cargo version it's probably going to die. Airbus uh, tried to market a cargo version of it and nobody wanted it. Uh, there wasn't any need for it at the time when they first came out with it, so they stopped production on it and uh, continued with the passenger version. And there's just, um, it's just not working out exactly as they expected, and who knows how, uh, how long we'll be seeing it continue to live. It'd be a shame to see the, you know, the A380 disappear. I don't think it's going to disappear. I think Emirates are going to be using this aircraft for a long, long, long time to come. And as are other you know, major carriers, but uh, it would be uh, interesting to see one of the low-cost carriers. I think possibly in the future, um, maybe take on one of these. I'm not going to say Ryanair or EasyJet. I think that'd be a bit, um, bit strange. But uh, you know, one of the other kind of you know the other sort of uh, regional carriers as such take on uh, take on one of these A380s. What do you think, Nev? Yeah, I, I, I just think that uh, you, if you're going to have an aircraft like that, you've got to use it on the right route with the right uh, density as well. I, I think if you start trying to use it on uh, relatively short-haul routes, so, you know, uh, east coast US to um, western Europe, for example, you're probably not going to get the, the best value for money out of it. But I'd really like to see what the, what the mathematics are. And, of course... We all know the accountants will have a view on it, so it'll be interesting to see um, how, how that all happens. But there's certainly a uh, uh, a trend towards uh, larger, uh, longer-range two-engine aircrafts, you know, A350, mm. uh, 787 Dreamliner, th those high-technology aircraft uh, on, on those, some of those routes. And even when you look at some of the low-cost carriers and, and the possibility of them taking it on, like you suggested, Carlos, I'm not sure how that would work. If you look way back uh, to the years when uh, People Express, I don't know if any of you guys ever heard of People Express. Yeah, it, was a, yeah. it was the original low-cost carrier here in the yeah. U.S. And, uh, in fact, you would get on the airplane and buy your ticket on the aircraft, just like on a bus. Um, but they... Um, they started to expand into trying to do a little bit of long haul. And they bought one 747, and they ran it back and forth from Newark to Gatwick once a day each way, and it just didn't work for them. And even uh, if you think about the low-cost carrier trying to do uh, that kind of low-cost flight um, with a large aircraft, uh, Freddie Laker didn't quite make it. He tried to do it twice, if I remember correctly, and uh, he did it with uh, DC-10s, but even then, it didn't quite work. So I'm not sure if if large capacity aircraft and low cost carriers go together. I, I really don't know the economics of it, but it would be, be interesting to, to study. Perhaps we should just get uh, Airbus to, to, to make a, a shed load of belugas and uh, pa <laughs> yes. passenger versions of the of the beluga. That's that's one of the things I've always loved. Always wondered what that would look like—a passenger version of the beluga. Because I mean that that would be able to carry a serious amount of weight. Yeah, cram them all in very nicely. Yeah, brilliant. I think it would be wonderful, especially if it was filled with beluga caviar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So moving on to the next story then, uh, and uh, this one is for you, Micah. Oh, boy. It's the world's coolest airport lounge. Here in the, uh, the Telegraph travel destination section, as far as airport amenities go, Punta Cana, I got to be careful how I pronounce that. Yeah. Punta Cana International's <laughs> latest offering might be just the coolest one yet. 
from this December, travelers waiting to fly out from the Dominican Republic-based airport will be able to go for a dip or lounge around an outdoor pool just steps away from the runway. The pool will be one of the many luxury features offered at a new lounge, which will be the airport's third VIP lounge, Travel and Leisure reports. Its existing ones, located in Terminal A and B, are open to select elite status flyers on participating airlines, as well as priority pass members and passengers who purchase pass, a pass to access both lounges. The size of the pool, as well as who will be able to access the airport's newest lounge, how much a day pass will cost, and what other facilities will be available at the VIP lounge are all yet to be confirmed. I understand it's going to be a waiting pool, by the way, a little blow-up waiting pool. Anybody will be able to get in it. But anyway. <laughs> Designed, designed by Dominican architect Antonio Segundo Imbert, the new pool feature is the latest in a series of expansions the airport has seen since the early 2000s. Built in 1983, the airport has a traditional Dominican architectural style with a tropical and contemporary feel, featuring open-air terminals with a thatched palm-covered roof and modern interiors. Punta Cana is operated by Corporación Aeroportuaria de Estes SA, a corporation run by Putacana Resort and Club. While its new pool might be the first one offered in an airport lounge, it's one of many pools available on site at airport hotels around the world. Singapore's Changi Airport, which was recently named the world's best airport for the fifth year running, features a rooftop pool at the top of the Aerotel Airport Transit Hotel at Terminal 1. The luxurious facility, which overlooks the runway, also has a jacuzzi pool bar, poolside bar and shower facilities. Several airport hotels, such as the Western Detroit Metropolitan Airport Hotel, also offer indoor pools with scenic views and other unique pools, such as the chlorine-free rooftop saline pool at the Grand Hyatt Dallas-Fort Worth Airport Hotel in Texas. The therapeutic pool is filled with mineral-infused water and is said to have a salinity that's identical to the human tier, according to the hotel. Just want to makes me cry. The Punta Cana Airport lounge, is, lounge pool is the latest in a string of unusual unusual things you can do at an airport from health checks and ice skating at Incheon Airport in South Korea to visiting a jungle rainforest transplanted to Kuala Lumpur Airport. It must say it does look nice but I th don't you don't you all uh, think guys that um, airports are getting even more like resorts now you know you, you go to an airport to get on an aircraft to go on holiday but uh, you know, now with, with swimming pools and spas and massage parlors and all this kind of carry on. You know, massage the, parlors? Well, well, you know what I'm saying. Oh, like I'm it. sorry. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but don't you think, don't you think the airports, are, I mean, not uh, quite so much the airports in the UK, I think, but uh, airports across the globe are getting more like uh, holiday destinations, I think, rather than the actual destination they're in. Yeah, it's a good I point, think, isn't it? I, I think that the uh, they have to do something, don't they? I mean, because we're getting to the airport earlier and earlier now. Uh, you know, two hours, three hours, four hours check-in sometimes, and people on long layovers. You know, uh, long gaps between flights. Um, so they've got to have more than just a vending machine, haven't they? So they, they've they've got to come up with innovative ideas to try and make uh, make this a bit more palatable for their uh, customers. I think we're going to have to pool our funds just for one of us to get there, though. I think uh, it's going to be very expensive. Very but, good, uh, Micah. Yeah. Very good, Micah. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you could see that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, it used to be years ago, you could just go to an airport, you can go shopping, you can look at the airplanes, you could walk down to the gates just by showing a ticket or getting permission. And uh, now they want to, well, 
Pittsburgh airport uh, airline pilot guy reported this on the show, uh, and maybe um, Richard Bell in the chat room can talk about it. But they're offering shopping passes so that people can get through the gates and go shopping at the airport, just like it's a mall, which makes no sense to me. I, I don't quite understand what's going on. And frankly, if I'm traveling, do I if I'm do I want to get undressed and get into a pool and with, with all those other people and, and then, you know, and then get dressed again and have to repack and all that with my wetsuit and get it on the plane? It just, it doesn't make, it's not something that really interests me at all. But then again, I'm not part of the jet set. No, no, we, we, we can't all travel first like uh, Sanev. Well, no, I think it's just a question of really what, what what's available, isn't it? And uh, yeah, you've got to be part of a very exclusive club these days, of which I'm not, sadly, <laughs> so much. But, so, Nev, uh, so. while you're there, the next story is uh, is all for you. Yeah, and of course, we, we talked about the, the luxury. And um, of course, uh, this story is from the BBC <laughs> News website. And this is about London Luton Airport. Not the same phrase that I would ever use. Uh, in the sentence which has luxury in it and it's actually been named as the worst airport in the UK and Doncaster Sheffield as the best in a survey based on passenger satisfaction. Luton got one star uh, one star in half of the 10 categories in the which study with a customer score of 29% based on overall satisfaction. It was described as chaos Crowded and rip-off. I think I would definitely agree with that. Doncaster got 87% with five-star customer service and users referring to it as relaxed and quiet. Uh, the consumer group uh, surveyed its subscribers who had travelled through an airport between May 2016 and May 2017. Luton is in the largest uh, air UK airports category with 10 million or more passengers per year and Doncaster is classed as a small airport. Luton scored low in categories for a range of shops and food outlets toilets and staff mm. it is undergoing 110 million pounds redevelopment which has led to disruption but it has been at the bottom of which uh, airport ranking for five years and uh, the top five airports according to which uh, number five is exeter and uh, joint number three is norwich and southampton huh? uh, yeah there you go uh, london south end <laughs> is at number two and uh, Doncaster Sheffield is number one. And the five worst airports, starting at number five, Manchester Terminal 1, Aberdeen, Manchester Terminal 3, London Stansted and London Luton. And uh, the airport spokesman said, we're disappointed in these results as they don't accurately reflect the experience of the majority of our passengers. The spokesman said the poll took place during the most intensive phase of the airport's redevelopment. Well, as far as I can work out, the airport is always being redeveloped. It's basically uh, roadworks all the time there and it says uh, of the 1.7 million people who responded to our ongoing customer survey the service tracking during the first six months of 2017 75% told us they were happy with their experience a 5% improvement on the same period last year he said uh, since then we have made significant improvements to the airport's infrastructure adding new shops and restaurants and passenger services such as free Wi-Fi wow we appreciate the patience of patience of our passengers as we develop the airport which will result in a better experience for everybody and Doncaster Sheffield Airport's chief executive Steve Gill said he was simply thrilled to have topped the poll getting five stars for our staff is a great recognition of our team their dedication delivering a top customer experience in one of our is one of our main values and have it confirmed in this way is very heartening he added but um there you go um yeah luton is one of my closest airports to where i live and um 
I tend not to fly in and out of there because I just, I just can't stand it. But occasionally I have to go there to collect a customer or drop somebody off. And it's like a zoo. And it's not a lot of fun. A few things that shocked me with that story, Nev. One is that uh, Norwich is in the top five. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm quite, well, I'm actually quite proud to say that, that my local airport here to me is in the top but five. It, it, but it's quite good, though, isn't it? It's, it's good. Um, yeah. Um, and also, one of the things that I've, I've found quite shocking as well, the worst five that Stansted's in the second place in the worst five. And I always, mm. you know, all the times that I've flown through Stansted Airport here in the UK, it's um, it's been easy. It's been clean, tidy, straight in, straight out. No, You know, it's been a, a decent experience, I've always thought. Yes, I think the thing is that with a lot of um, Ryanair traffic now at Stansted, it's all right when it's all going well, but if there's a, a technical delay with the aircraft or there's weather or something like that, it doesn't take much for it all to go wrong. And if you go through there on a good day, it's quite reasonable, but there's a bit of fog or inbound delays, um, then there's, there's no headroom at all. It really goes wrong very quickly. But, uh, yeah, it's surprising that uh, it was as bad as, uh, as this survey indicates. I think the only the only problem is if you're flying flying from Stansted, and this is probably the only the only thing I could say is a bit um, rubbish about Stansted Airport. But if you're flying Ryanair uh, to get to the gate, which we've always flown from, um, with the flights to Malta from uh, from Stansted with Ryanair, you have to leave about six weeks before the <laughs> flight to walk from uh, the entrance of Stansted to the gate. Yeah. Where the plane is uh, is um, you know waiting to take you, so you you do have to plan uh, quite far ahead. Yes, absolutely. What I really loved about the story is how the spokesman said, "Oh no 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 BBC, you're wrong. Most of our customers love the airport. You know, <laughs> did you hear that down at the end? It's kind of like no, couldn't possibly be more. We've really improved five percent improvement. Most of it. It's kind of like when um, you know you, you taste Marmite for the first time, you say, oh my God, that tastes terrible.' And people who like it say, "No no, you're wrong. No no, it's fine. <laughs> it just." It just oh, really dear. annoys me when that, that that kind of public relations routine when they come up with it. It's yeah. Oh, perhaps crazy. perhaps one day, Micah, you'll have um, you'll have the opportunity to fly into London Luton and uh, sample it for yourself. It sounds like the LaGuardia Airport of London to, to me, which is again just they they talk about it being a third world airport and what. Most people don't understand this. The third world airports are usually luxurious and wonderful. <laughs> Look at the Dominican Republic. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, and uh, this <laughs> one, this one is on Flight Global. God, heaven forbid we ever want to travel at Luton Airport anytime soon, Nev. Oh dear. Um, so Flight Global, this one, Ryanair uh, to bid for Alitalia's jets. O'Leary says. So Ryanair intends to make a firm bid to acquire Alitalia's fleet of jets, Chief Executive Michael O'Leary has indicated. Speaking at a press conference in London earlier this week, O'Leary said he intended to make a bid for some 90 Alitalia jets by the first week of October, which brings the next phase of the Italian carrier's sale process. Uh, we'll be willing to take uh, on both the short-haul and the long-haul fleet, O'Leary said. Uh, one of the aspects of Alitalia that is really attractive is the long-haul fleet, which has the capacity to grow very strongly. He says that all Boeing operator Ryanair, which they are, uh, would not have a problem with adding Airbus aircraft 
uh, to and their crews and engineers. Um, and nothing, he says, noting that uh, we bid earlier for previously for Aer Lingus uh, three times, and they have only Airbus jets. True. Uh, he says uh, that uh, it might have Airbus aircraft, but it also has Airbus pilots and Airbus engineers, O'Leary said. Uh, he also added that uh, we do not have the aircraft to go and replace all of Alitalia's fleet tomorrow or in one year or in two years, so we will be very willing to buy Alitalia. Ryanair will not be adding, uh, not be bidding uh, for the Alitalia's turboprop fleet, which O'Leary says his airline has no interest in. Uh, he admits that the process of acquiring the jets is complicated because of the majority of Alitalia's fleet is leased and not owned. The jets are all leased, so we would have to uh, we would have to want to lease these aircraft. But clearly, we want the bankruptcy administrator to restructure the leases. He says. Fleet's analyzed uh, database uh, lists 103 aircraft in Alitalia's inventory uh, or inventory. These uh, comprise of 72 A320 jets, including two in storage, uh, 14 Airbus A330s, 11 777200 ERs, 4 ATR 72-500 turboprops. Uh, just eight of the aircraft are actually owned uh, by Alitalia. Seven of the A uh, A320 family narrowbodies and one of the 777. Uh, the rest are leased. O'Leary says that Ryanair would seek to continue operating uh, the aircraft under Alitalia's great brand. However, O'Leary believes the prospect of Ryanair succeeding in its bid are slim, citing the likelihood that a merger would be blocked under EU competition rules. He estimates that Ryanair has a 35% uh, of the Italian aviation market and that a merger with Alitalia would give it 55%. O'Leary sees it as more likely that Alitalia will be broken up and that the Ryanair will benefit in terms of uh, air traffic rights and airport slots because whoever buys Alitalia, uh, there will be competition remedies. Uh, Alitalia was put up for sale early this year after filing for insolvency protection and airlines have until the 15th of September to submit expressions of interest making uh, a, blind, a binding bid. The airline's spe uh, special commissioners will uh, then consider those offers and notify parties that have met the requirements. Those shortlisted will have until the 2nd of October to su uh, submit a binding offer. There we go. So um, that would be an interesting one to see uh, uh, an Airbus aircraft sporting the uh, Ryanair logo, Nev. Mm, I, do you know what? I just can't see it myself. Um, and I think there's a lot of operational difficulties associated with that. And Tony, yes, makes a great point in the chat room uh, when he says it's the employee contracts that could be the problem for, for Ryanair here. And, of course, Alitalia's a, a state airline, which has probably been propped up for, for some time by the government. And it'll, I don't know what the, the debt situation is there, but it will be, it will take uh, – it's very, very difficult to, to turn it around, I would have thought. So uh, you know, we'll have to see. If you know what's going on, they're not going – they're not looking at buying Alitalia. What they're looking is they're putting in a bid for the aircraft. So it wouldn't be that they'd be buying the employees or dealing with any of that. They're just looking to add the Alitalia aircraft to their to the Ryanair fleet uh, yeah. and to see what happens with that and run it as Ryanair. Oh, okay. um, so I think it's a, a slightly different thing. So I don't think there'd be an employee issue there. Uh, that's why 
Alitalia has been in trouble for, you know, the longest time. They've been filing for bankruptcy and reorganizing over and over again. Yeah. But what what interests me, as again, I always take a skewed view of the news with a kind of a bizarre twist. But <laughs> Alitalia is the airline of the Pope. So I wonder, number one, who's going to fly the Pope, and if Michael O'Leary would get the Pope with the Alitalia aircraft and be flying him all over the world. Oh dear! <laughs> what 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 a great angle to come from. But yeah, it it could happen, couldn't it? It could happen. It'd be great to see. <laughs> I was just thinking about the Pope there with um, with O'Leary. I can see ads and advert advertising um, uh, just just coming out from everywhere with that. That would be um, yeah, definitely be interesting. To see. You know, and what they'd probably do is you know, in order to advertise it, and it, you know, they'd charge for them. But if they're the airline of the Pope, I'm sure that you know, to all the passengers, they would offer popsicles. <laughs> Hold on. There we go. Insert there in the right place. So moving on to the next story then, uh, Micah. And uh, this one is um, well, a bit of a kind of a serious uh, story, this one, Micah. Uh, from Flight Global, a failed tire tread penetrated wing of a Jetstar 787-8. A Jetstar Boeing 787-8 suffered damage to its left wing and flap system after one of its main landing gear tires delaminated while taking off from Singapore Changai International Airport on the 13th of May. The aircraft registered VH-VKA was climbing through 3,000 feet en route to Melbourne. The captain set the aircraft's flap settings to flap one. That triggered the flaps drive, the flaps drive caution alert indicating a fault with the system. In response, the crew notified air traffic control and leveled off at 6,000 feet to complete a fault checklist. Thereafter, a decision was made to return to Singapore. The aircraft landed safely and taxied to the gate, escorted by emergency safe service vehicles. Before the flight crew left the aircraft, an engineering staff member advised that they found damage to the left wing. Ground staff, meanwhile, reported there was debris on the runway the aircraft had taken off from. The Australian Transport Safety Bureau, ATSB, says the examination of the aircraft's main landing gear showed that the tread on one of the tires had delaminated, penetrated the left underwing panel, and broke a flap torque tube, triggering the warning. The delamination on takeoff likely occurred at the southern end of the run runway when the tire was at high speed, which provided sufficient energy for the tire tread, for the tread to penetrate the left underwing panel and break the flap torque tube, it adds. Manufacturer Michelin examined the failed tire and concluded that the tread had been undercut due to the aircraft mostly operating on grooved runways. Following the incident, Jetstar issued notices to engineers and pilots highlighting the need to pay close attention to the shoulder areas of the tire during pre-flight inspections to help identify any excessive wear. In its safety message, the ATSB commended the Jetstar crew for their handling of the situation. Quote, while the condition of the tire and the exact fault with the flaps were unknown to the flight crew at the time of their decision making, this occurrence highlights the importance of following failure management procedures. Unquote. Mm. That was a quite serious situation. That was, and um, Shorty Cosgrove is actually saying in the uh, in the chat room, delaminated. I always thought that was kind of um, uh, a sort of a a, a a hooky tire nev. I think yeah. a bit more, uh, yeah. or what we call in the uh, in the UK a remold. Yeah, retreads. That's right. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, that, the, the, I don't know about these days, but they were used quite extensively uh, years ago or, or on many aircraft. Um, but of course, inevitably, you're not going to get quite the same amount of reliability out of a, a retread than you are out of a brand new tire. So, uh, but yeah, it was a, a potentially difficult situation, but uh, 
but not too bad by the sounds of things. Yeah, and here in the U.S., they use retreads a lot on the 18-wheelers. I can't speak for aircraft, but you mm. see they do delaminate, and they come off at different times. But with careful inspection and everything, they can be as safe as, as any other tire. You just need to be aware of the inspection system. And, yeah, they don't last quite as long, but they also don't cost quite as much. Because we should all, all remember as well that it was a situation like this that brought down Concorde all those years ago with the uh, with the, you know, the tire, but that, obviously that ran over. Um, something on the runway, but uh, that was a piece of tyre that obviously caused the damage in the uh, wing underbelly of the Concorde. Yeah, th there's also a lot of other factors associated with that, though, and I think although that was one of the things, there was probably, if I remember Captain John Hutchinson <laughs> correctly, yes. there's another sort of eight or ten things uh, that the crew did incorrectly uh, before that departure. So although that was a contributory factor, there was many other things that, that caused the catastrophe as well. Yeah. So moving on then, guys, to the last story, and it's a, it's one of those, uh, it's a kind of uh, a feel-good kind of story to uh, to end the commercial news segment with, I think. And uh, Nev, if you want to take this yes, one, yes, it's it's one of those and finally stories, isn't it? And uh, it says that uh, the airline goes above and beyond to reunite girl with lost teddy bear. Uh, with a firm grip on Tito, Ayla walked through the Charlotte Douglas International Airport with her family to the terminal. Shortly after the family boarded the plane, Ayla panicked when she realised Tito wasn't there. Ayla immediately started crying, Joanna Johnson said. Tito was accidentally left behind at the terminal. I went to the flight attendant, whose name is Timothy. I don't know why that's relevant. And I said, my daughter left her teddy bear in the terminal. Is there any way to get it back, Johnson said. The flight attendant explained that the doors to the aircraft were closed and they could not reopen them. I was really, really sad that I lost her, Ayla said. The flight attendant called the gate agent at the airport to look for Tito, who was sitting alone in a seat in the terminal. An American Airlines agent scooped Tito up and brought her to a gate agent. The gate agent brought the bear to the plane, but with the aircraft door already closed, Tito could not get on the plane. When pilot Jonathan Guyery learned about Tito and saw the bear in the gate agent's arms, he slid open the window to the aircraft. The gate agent tossed Tito through the window and she safely landed in the pilot's lap. As Guyery prepared for takeoff, he made sure that Tito was safe in the cockpit. About halfway through the flight, Timothy came down the aisle carrying, carrying Tito for Ayla, Joanna Johnson said. Ayla quickly wrapped her arms around Tito and thanked the crew for her safe return. I was really, really happy that I found her and I was really excited, Ayla said. Ah, so that's a, a nice uh, nice story, isn't it? With, with no major drama there and no. a happy ending. It's an airline doing as it were. It's an airline doing something nice, isn't it, guys? You know, we we need we need more good news stories in the uh, in the news for for airlines doing nice stuff for passengers. What do you reckon of that one, Micah? I think it's really wonderful. Although, did you notice they didn't name the airline in the story until the very very end? I don't think we even got to that. But I mean, we could tell because it's Charlotte Douglas. We knew it was American. But it's kind of like even when they report a good story, they're not going to say a good thing about an airline because they don't want to, you know. But American Airlines really went above and beyond on this, and they deserve all the credit that they, that uh, that that they get on it. And wow. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And do you know where the name Teddy Bear came from, by the way? Go on, Mike. Uh, would, no, tell us. Teddy Bear is named after President Theodore Roosevelt. Oh yes. There we Teddy go. Roosevelt. You heard it. That's here where first. the name came from in the early uh, around 1902. Just a little bit of trivia. 
I know you heard it here. I'll tell you, we we'll get all the best stuff here on PTUK. <laughs> just tell your friends where you heard it first. Yeah. <laughs> so coming up uh, now, we have got uh, a segment from Nev, and after that, we have got uh, a segment as well to play uh, from the Seeding Air Show, the Seeding Charity Air Day that we were at uh, a few weeks back. But Nev, I think it's uh, time for you to introduce uh, your segment that's coming up now. Oh, yeah, well, it's another one of the NEV's passenger experience uh, pieces, and uh, this is another one uh, that I recorded a few months ago, and uh, we're talking about uh, someone here who's uh, done a lot of long-haul sectors as well, actually, and so it's a great pleasure to talk to Raj Singardia, and uh, here's the interview. Hello everyone, it's Nev here again with another in the series of Nev's Passenger Experience. Well, as many of you may know by now, back at the start of June, which seems a very long time ago now, I must say, I spent a few days in Santorini with a few of my industry colleagues and we enjoyed some sparkling mineral water, some fruit and a few low-calorie chips. Well, believe that and you'll believe anything. On a serious note, though, I had the chance to speak with Raj, who was one of our excellent hosts during our stay there. And we got talking about how he goes about his business and leisure travel and what that means from an overall experience point of view. I began by asking Raj whether he thought that the airport experience had become easier. You can get through security very quickly. Um, it's not much drama. Obviously, before, you know, um, you speak quite a lot of security. It's actually the more you fly, it's, you get to know how, how it all works and stuff. So um, it's a lot quicker, experience is better, a lot more shops. Um, we tend to fly to Heathrow quite a lot, so actually when you get into there, there's a lot of things that you can do. Terminal 5 is great as well. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of most experiences that we have when we're at the airport, it's, it's actually it's a, it's a shopping centre, isn't it? So it's the retail experience, yeah. <laughs> the important part of your holidays. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, because you, you like to browse, you know, and, and actually obviously have a coffee and, and, and a drink or whatever as well. And, and actually it's just nice that you can have a variety of choices. Otherwise, obviously some airports, probably the one, the one that we go into Santorini, will be uh, quite sparse. So. And what about, you've, you've done some fairly long haul stuff, haven't you, in the last uh, year or so. What, what sort of experience was that like, going through the airport and, and the check-in and all the rest of it? That was actually, that was really good as well. It was very quick. Um, we flew to Vietnam um, and that was, that was wonderful. It was, it was just one of them, you know, book check-in straight away through. Um, and obviously, you know, we are pretty frequent flyers. So once you know everything, you know, you just know how the systems work, don't you? And, and actually the, the security were great. We also went uh, to uh, Geneva a couple of weeks ago and that was from Luton Airport. Obviously, the, the, when we were there, it was really, really packed. But um, but still, you know, the, the airport itself was great. Security was was quick and easy, and um, I think that's what makes it makes it great for us because you know it's just carefree. You know, you can easily just go straight in. Do you think it's because of your age? Because you know, grumpy old men like me just, just don't put up with some of this stuff. But because you're you're a youngster, you know, it's it's all good for you. No, not really. I don't think so. I think before before even you know when I was younger, I did, I couldn't stand airports. Um, but I guess it's just you get used to it, don't you? And and you do sort of just find it's like driving a car, isn't it? The more you the more you do it, the more the more easier it. You know, the more patient you become. And actually, what you'll find now with airports is check-in desks. There's a lot more check-in desks. There's a lot more security. It's just quicker. The, the machines that they have, you know, probably 90% of the time before, probably five years ago, I used to, 90% of the time I used to get searched. Not anymore, you know. I'd probably get, it's only if something goes off, then I'll get, otherwise it's just 
it's just quick and easy. Do you try and sort of travel as light as you can, when you can, you know, hand luggage only, that, that kind of thing? It depends, yeah. So it depends if, if, we're going, if I'm going away on business. Normally I like to just have a hand luggage. It's quicker, so you can just get in, get out of the airport. Um, Long-haul flights, obviously... I'll try and pack as much as I can in, on, in the suitcase. Um, something like this in Santorini, I had my, my backpack for my laptop. And, but otherwise, yeah, as light as I possibly can. From the business point of view, can you book whatever flights you need to suit you? Or do you have a, a travel policy where you have a travel department that, that does all this for you? Yeah, we have a travel, travel department. So um, if, if I'm flying anywhere regarding business, we'll just send... Anne, who's our, our office manager, an email, and she'll book it through a travel agency. And actually, they give you a very good choice. You know, it's what flight um, to Amsterdam for IC, for example. It was, Raj, what flight do you want? Do you want a six o'clock in the morning flight, midday, um, or, or an early evening one? So actually, we do get a lot of flexibility, depending on when our meetings are, obviously. But, but yeah, a lot of flexibility, which is quite nice. Nice. Well, thanks very much, Dave, for talking to us about that. And thank you for hosting us for the last couple of days. It's been superb, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, we are, you're very welcome. Yeah, it's been lovely here. So it's a shame we have to go back. <laughs> it is. I'm not looking forward to Monday, I can tell you. No, no, neither am I. <laughs> but yeah, no, thanks for coming. It's, it's been great. Thanks, Raj. All the best. Cheers. Thanks, Nev. Oh, well done, Nev. Oh, thank you very much, Nick Carlos. And and uh, yeah, well, I, I played it straight off my uh, analog tape machine. There, that was that was very good, wasn't that? Well, that worked out really well. Uh, but uh, yeah, great to um, uh, chat with uh, Raj about his passenger experience. Yeah, it's all. I, I must admit, I'm loving the segments, and uh, I think it's really important that you know you're um, you're you're doing these segments with 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 people who you know they live and work and fly, and and you know they they are passengers who uh, you know they sit yeah, in the back I, of these aircraft. I'm, I'm, Exactly. I'm, I'm trying to get a good cross-section of people as well. Um, it's very easy to just find people that, that bash the same airlines all the time, but uh, that's not always the case. So I'm, I'm trying to find people that operate on different budgets as well, so they're not always flying business class. Or, you know, sometimes they've got to uh, pay for the flight themselves and, and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, no, glad I, you like it. I've got to say, Nev, that you know, my favorite part of the show used to be uh, Gemma and Poppy, but now this, this new <laughs> segment really has, has become my favorite part. <laughs> What a compliment! Oh, Especially oh, from you. Oh, brilliant! So, come on then, Nev. You've got uh, you've got another. We've got another um, one of your interviews uh, that you took at Seething coming up now. So, tell us a bit. Uh, what, what's this uh, next? Uh, interview that's coming up. Well, I had a fantastic day out at Seething and uh, it's quite a long drive uh, for for me, uh, but I didn't really care because I really enjoyed myself and uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was that the show was so well organised. It's a lovely, uh, relatively small show, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it and the two people that I talked to were Alex and John, who were the, the key organisers of it and uh, I, I was uh, really blown away by their commitment and, and their dedication and uh, just, just have a listen to this interview. I think, I think you'll enjoy it as well. I had a chat with Alex and John, who are the organisers of the Seething Charity Air Day, and we had a long chat about how the whole thing is organised, and I began by asking Alex how she goes about organising such a show. Well, uh, we have Air Day today, and then next week we'll have a meeting to close it for 2017 and then a month later we have a meeting to open 2018 and we start from there and it goes on every week it's never ending isn't it and um how long has the uh, air show been uh, been going for now 
I believe it's been going eight years. John and I have been part of it now for four years, um, and we organise the stalls and the events on the ground. Um, and you know, sort of, amongst other things, I'm the the lost child team leader, and John does other things as well. So between us, we do a variety of things. But yeah, it's um, it's been a good day today. The, uh, the good mix of stalls. People are very happy, and it's a beautiful day. Yeah, the main thing is that the the weather has uh, been perfect uh, for the whole day. Bit bit of wind earlier on, but uh, uh, what's the most challenging part of organising this this kind of event? My biggest challenge is paperwork, because obviously I'm responsible. Are we responsible for getting the paperwork in, and making sure people have proper insurances, and um, especially the catering side, fire risk assessments. So it's all paperwork for me um, until air day itself, when we get it all together. And here we are. I think this is a, a very well-run uh, air show, I've got to say, and also it's a very friendly bunch of people. That, that's the biggest thing I w would say compared to some other shows that I've been to recently. Did, did, you've gone out, out of your way to try and make it a very friendly atmosphere. We do. We very much we pride ourselves on having a family atmosphere here. Um, the club itself is a very family-orientated club, um, and we all work together. And I think our, our main concern today is that everyone is happy and everybody's enjoying themselves. People pay to come into this show and we, you know, we, we want them to have a really good day and feel the friendly atmosphere that we're able to produce and I think that's works. I think if you look around you everybody's happy. So, yeah. yeah certainly. Now John tell me about your, your role in all of this. You've got a high-vis jacket on which means and a Motorola radio, which means you're very important. So tell me, what do you do? I just totally agree with everything that Alex has said. <laughs> uh, no, well, my, my role is obviously we, we work together doing the, um, uh, the stalls, pulling them together, finding uh, stalls um, and ground events that are a little bit different each year. Um, and then on the day, we, we've been here since 5 a.m. It was a beautiful sunrise, and we've got a, we took a picture of that, so we've got a date and time uh, to prove that we were here. Um, at that time but uh, yeah I then cite all the uh, all the 50 stalls that we've got here and and then we find out whether or not the paperwork they put in was actually true to the size that they wanted so it's uh, a little bit of juggling uh, with with the stalls but we've got them all in and we had them all in for uh, about nine o'clock this morning so uh, an hour before the public arrived so it, it was some going and uh, we, we do try and link up with the uh, with our control tower as well our world war ii control tower because obviously as, as you you know your listeners will probably know and you know that we had the um, the b24 liberators fly from here in the war and that's been refurbished by the locals um, and we've got four people in there that were children when the americans were here and uh, they, uh, they, they will tell some rather funny stories, which is, uh, which is quite amusing. But that's mainly my role, and now just walking around and smiling. And uh, we've had a wonderful dog show as well, uh, which Alex um, and, and myself organise. And uh, everybody's happy. The dogs are happy because they've won rosettes. So, uh, and we've made money for charity, which is what it's all about. And it's all very weather dependent, because you never know, you know, we're, here we are in the middle of August, you never quite know what weather you're going to get, do you? No, not at all, but we've, uh, we, we've, we've come away from the uh, August bank holiday because uh, it's notorious for, for wet weather. So uh, we've gone a week earlier and we've, we've been blessed with this weather now. So, I mean, you know, it's 21 degrees, a little bit of cloud, slight bit of wind, but absolutely lovely. And have you got very good feedback from the stallholders here as well, people that want to come back again next year? We, we've got our regulars that come back every year, and, and, and the feedback is that, you know, everybody's making some money, so if they're making money, then the charity will benefit, and uh, people are just really, really happy. So, obviously, you've set the bar very high now, Alex, so uh, what about the future? You know, how, how can you make it better and better every, every year? 
Well, I'd like to, first of all, I'd like to increase the dog show side because we have a lot of very happy people because they've been able to bring their pets. And obviously their pets are very much part of their family. So that's going to get bigger, I feel. And um, this year is bigger than last year. So it's starting to increase, which is lovely. And just always looking for new events. And um, the wildcats are just going over. Yeah, and um, just increasing... Not the amount of stalls, but the variety that we have, and always with our eyes open looking for something new. Um, so I'm not sure at today, I haven't got any thoughts yet, but from next week or the week after, we'll start again yeah, and sort of go from Well, that's it. It's an absolute, you know, a never-ending task, isn't it, really? And, uh, but uh, no, I'd just like to congratulate both of you and say what a fantastically well-organised show it's been, and thank you for allowing us to, to be part of it. Oh, it's our pleasure having you here, yeah, and we think you're wonderful, how you, you're streaming our air show around, you know, around the world. And, um, you know, we're only a small airfield, so we really appreciate the the um, advertising that you do for us. So thank you very much. Yeah. You're welcome, Alex. Thanks ever so much indeed. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head dot com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from news buyers across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Fly B5823 Trent Dane for 23 Manchester with Air 6X Client Flight Level 210 Direct to Brooklyn's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. London, two, TME, turn right onto Bravo, link, two, one, join, alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird, four, seven, two, LOC, slash TME, approach runway, two, seven, left. Follow the green stand, five, four, four. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on. Aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> What is cricket, anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there we oh. go. <laughs>
That was fantastic. Absolutely amazing, as always. So well done, Nev. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, wasn't it great to, to chat with uh, Alex and John like that? And uh, two of the nicest people that you could ever wish to meet. And d just imagine, you know, organising this show year after year. It takes a lot of work, I'm sure. And, uh, but yeah. they were very successful indeed. And everybody was so pleased with well, what they'd achieved on it. Yeah, I think they had so, a really good attendance actually this year. Sorry, Mark. They had. A, uh, I mean, there was a lot of people there. The weather was uh, was spot on this year, um, which I think helped as well. And um, no, I I, re I really enjoyed my day there. Absolutely, it was uh, it was really great. And uh, roll on twenty eighteen, I say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sorry, Mike, you're going to speak. No, I was just going to ask a question. Having not seen the uh, that particular PTUK episode, I listened to it, but I didn't see it. And uh, having not ever attended Seething, it's a dog show and an air show? <laughs> yeah, they, they have a, a dog show as part of it. Uh, and they had some uh, vintage cars being displayed as well. Uh, actually, it's a really good family day out, I've got to say. So there's something for everybody there. But it's, it's not too big. And, and some of these bigger air shows can be very very hard work but uh, no I, I think it was they got it just spot on actually and uh, if, if that's going to be the standard that they want to maintain uh, going forward then it'll be great really looking forward to going back and, and Alex talked quite a bit about the stalls and uh, so again not having been there can you tell us what what stalls do you do you remember what what were the what were the the biggest one or the, the, the ones that you liked the best maybe or the ones that you remember most dearly well, you know the answer to that straight away, don't you? It's all the, all the catering uh, that was there. Uh, if, if Captain Al was uh, with us now, uh, he would not have been disappointed, I have to say. Uh, but, uh, yeah, plenty to eat and drink. Uh, lots of other, you know, kiddie uh, things, of uh, toys and raffles and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, all the stall holders seem to do very well. Lots of memorabilia and, and other bits and pieces as well. And uh, fortunately, we were next to the Ford uh, booth as well. So I had another look at that, a lovely five-litre Mustang, which I still can't afford but never mind uh, but uh, no it was a really great day and um, the thing is with their show sometimes you never quite know what you're going to get and Alex did say to me she said you know previously we have held it over the August bank holiday weekend which is notoriously you know uncertain for, for weather mm. and funnily enough the bank holiday weekend we've just had was excellent weather but you just can't guarantee it so by bringing it forward a week I think it certainly helped and uh, it, I'd really enjoyed myself it was a great, great time so Alex, uh, she's in, actually in the chat room. Alex is in the chat room. So uh, obviously mm. we're going to say a big hello to Alex. She's been in the chat room watching herself uh, live on the show, which is good. Uh, she's actually just said in the chat room uh, that they're, they're only her, uh, Alex and John are only part of an eight um, um, team of people who uh, who organise the show. So they're they're, they're, they're they're two in a team of eight. So they're, you know ev to everyone else who uh, obviously. Um, organized a show at Seething this year well done because you know it was as we've said you know before it was a really well put together show uh we you know we had uh, we have we have a great spot each uh, each year um for us to uh, to have the mobile studio and actually um liz uh, liz piper in the chat room over in canada she said that uh, p2k is the biggest stall surely i think that was that goes to the pie stall which was next door to us i think Nev. oh yeah it was wasn't it that was fantastic <laughs> I, I did actually get on the scales a couple of days after i came back it was a, a frightening number i can tell you <laughs> Well, next time you'll just have to do the power off stall instead of the power on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
But uh, yeah, so uh, Alex and John, we will look forward to seeing you again next yeah. year. And thanks very much for being so hospitable and making it so easy for us to set up and, and get everything done. It was yeah. really well great. Done. Thank you. Well done, guys. Big round of applause. Well done. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. So before we finish the show, then we've got uh, a bit, so a few bits of air show news. Then for what's coming up uh, this weekend, actually, there's uh, there's a few big ones actually coming up this weekend. Uh, so first uh, on the list this Saturday and Sunday, which is tomorrow and Sunday, if you're in the UK and you're anywhere near Bournemouth. Uh, if in Bournemouth, it's the Bournemouth Air Show, and uh, their air show is going to mark the tenth year of the Bournemouth uh, Air Festival. So that's coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, what else have we got this weekend, Nev? Uh, yes, coming up this weekend uh, on Saturday and Sunday up in uh, Scotland, uh, it's the Scottish International Air Show on the Air Seafront in South Ayrshire. That's a beautiful part of the country. Again, fingers crossed for the uh, for the weather there as well. So also um, coming up on the 9th and 10th um, of uh, this month, uh, it's one of the big ones here in the UK as well, it's the Scampton Air Show in Lincolnshire. Um, I was looking on the uh, website today for, uh, for Scampton and uh, they've got a huge uh, list lineup of aircraft uh, that's displaying at Scampton, that's uh, on the 9th and 10th of this month saturday and sunday uh, i think probably i think uh, mr warner i think is going to be there I th i'm pretty sure he said he might be going to scampton and i wouldn't be surprised if uh, our photographer mr hannington might make his way mm. over there because he's always covering the air shows have you uh, have you given him his camera back yet <laughs> <laughs> oh well, uh, jonathan warner yeah i, I did give yes. him his camera back yeah before i oh, left uh, riyadh this year he did get his camera good. back but uh, on on the uh, on, actually, if you, any of you guys in the listeners are on Instagram, uh, both uh, both Jonathan Warner and um, Dan Hannington are both on Instagram, and both of them take some absolutely fantastic um, aviation photography. Um, I can't quite remember the uh, their names off the top of my head, but I think Dan was in the chat room a minute ago. But um, if you can find Dan and uh, Jonathan Warner on uh, Instagram, there are some pretty amazing pictures uh, that the guys put on there um, from the various air shows across uh, across the UK. So make sure you check them guys out. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and of course, uh, coming up uh, next year um, for the 200th uh, PTUK show, which we're going to be doing live from NP Simulations uh, in London, uh, which is where they've got the uh, 737 Next Generation uh, fixed base simulator, which is extremely good because both Carlos and I have had a go at it. Um, <laughs> uh, we still have some limited places available. So if listeners want to come and join us for the show and have a go at flying this thing, uh, let us know, please. And uh, I think that, the, again, the guys down there have been so hospitable as well. Yeah. And that's what makes doing some of these shows uh, a lot easier when you're dealing with people that are are nice to deal with uh, and uh, Nick and Paul down there are certainly uh, very nice people indeed so uh, that's nothing to look out for so I'm really looking forward to doing that one uh, Carlos that's gonna, be a, that's gonna be a great event isn't it yeah definitely looking forward to uh, to next year it's gonna be, uh, be an epic show you know we had obviously we had to do something to to beat the hundredth show that we done live in the Vulcan at the uh, Norwich Aviation Museum so you know we, we've uh, we've really pulled um, well pulled pulled a, the um, um, well, what should I say? Marvel at the bag. yourselves. Yeah, the we've done ourselves. ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Say, yeah. Um, but, but don't so, forget, if you want to, uh, if you want to get in contact with us at the show, um, you can either go over to our website www.planetalkinguk.com. 
and uh, click on the Contact Us tab, or you can send us uh, an email to the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Send us an email if you are in the UK or if you want to uh, come across um, from across the globe uh, on the 20th of January next year. Uh, make sure you send us an email. Let us know you want to uh, come to the uh, 200 show. Uh, it's in London, like we said, and uh, you can join us there. And uh, we're going to have we're going to have a few nibbles, a few snacks, and a few um, few glasses of uh, of uh, Coca Cola and lemonade. Oh, <laughs> I might get uh, Mrs. Nev to make some of her sausage rolls. But although she can't compete with Gemma, so uh, we'll have to uh, have to be second best, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, it's uh, we have actually we have got a few people coming across um, across from uh, from America, I think, uh, who are joining us for the 200th, and I think we've also Excellent. got someone coming from Ireland as well, who's flying over oh, to uh, join oh, very us. Very good. Uh, actually, good. that that show is coming together quite nicely. We've had a lot of developments this week, haven't we, we have, Carlos, with, yeah. with regard to some stuff, and there's more interviews coming up as well. So we're we're actually this year, I think we we've done an awful lot, and it's only just the start of September, and there's more to come. So yeah. uh, this will certainly be a bit of an action-packed year for the show it has been an action-packed year and we, you know we've you know we've only got uh, our listeners to thank really for uh, all uh, all the help because it is obviously you guys who listen to us each week and tune into us on youtube and download us via itunes and all the other podcast platforms that uh, that you know keep us um, you know wanting to carry on each week and uh, bring you bring you the shows and uh, we try and uh, bring you um, as much content as we can which i think we have done this year with the air shows and stuff but we've still got loads a few more interviews actually to uh, to come from seething uh, which we got uh, this year so we got some more of those to come uh, as yet which uh, is going to be good there's a few few uh, good uh, interviews um, from seething yet to play aren't there Nev? Yeah, we had some really interesting chats with some of the pilots there as well. And again, that's what that's what made it. You know, it wasn't just the, the show itself, but the people themselves were so accessible. And uh, they very kindly allowed us, to, allowed us to do some interviews with them. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to hearing those again, definitely. Yeah, Richard Kings has said in the chat room, do we have to send another email? No, Richard, I have, uh, I've got your email. Your name is on the list, so don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. Um, but yes, that was. Uh, it's going to be. It's going to be an epic show, the 200 show. It's going to be a nice um, family get together. I think we should call it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, yeah. So, and although that's uh, 20th of January, it does sound a long way away, but it will come round oh, yeah. very quickly, won't it? We're in September already, guys. You know, it's. I know. This is yeah. a, absolutely crazy how fast this year has gone. Yeah. So. Um, we are going to uh, wrap up the show then. We're going to bring the show to a close. So we're going to say first a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in uh, the live virtual chat room on YouTube. Thanks for joining us tonight uh, on the show. It's great to see everyone in all the uh, the family members who have joined us. Uh, Shorty Cosgrove, Jennifer is in there, Jennifer, Liz Piper, Richard King, Lane Street, Barbara Parrish has been in there, Tony S has been in there, uh, Dan Hannington was in there earlier as well. I noticed uh, Glenn Towler, uh, Pilot Pip, He's uh, he actually been in the chat room as well. Who is that guy? I don't know. No, I, don't. I haven't seen him for weeks. Uh, Shorty right. Cosgrove, and uh, well, it's just it's just been a, been a nice little uh, nice little show this evening. I think. How how I done, guys? I've been pressing the oh, right buttons. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> normally, we we comment about uh, the fact that you're driving the whole thing on your own, and there was no comment about this that this week at all, which means uh, clearly that uh, Mr. Smith. Um, probably won't need to turn up anymore because uh, you're doing such a good job <laughs> it's poor Matt 
Oh, he did oh actually now it's all just going to go to... <laughs> no, he did, he, did, he did actually send me a message at the start of the show saying I'm officially redundant, but uh, oh, not at all, no. Matt. Uh, we, we love you being here, and, and thank you for your yeah. massive contributions that you make as well. But uh, that was good that it all went well, though, Carlos. Well yeah. done, mate. Thank you, Very guys. Good. Thank you. And we're going to say a big thank you, obviously, to our guest host this evening, the main man, Micah, thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. Well, it's wonderful to be invited, and I only wish that I could be there in the kitchen studio with you, but uh, maybe next time. <laughs> oh, yeah, we never know what's going to happen in 2018. You know, yeah, we've got Farmer coming up next year, don't forget, guys. It's, uh, oh, yeah. it's true. We're talking about January and, you know, coming up quickly. I'm already planning for July. <laughs> So that is then where we're going to bring episode 180. I feel like a darts commentator. What do you reckon, Nev? Oh, you had Tony Green on, shouldn't we, really? 180. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes, exactly. so we're going to bring episode 180 to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Again, massive thanks uh, to you guys again, Nev, Micah, as always, for uh, being the hosts on the show with me tonight. And uh, Matt. We know we're going to say hello to you, Matt, and a, bit, and a goodbye to you as well, Matt. I know he, he can't watch. He did message me earlier just to say that he couldn't even muster a, a 3G signal, let oh, alone dear. a 4G <laughs> signal. So uh, he's probably watching, uh, trying to watch us on YouTube now, and the strict <laughs> like that. So uh, yes. So take care, Matt. Have a great holiday wherever you are watching us uh, or trying to watch us right now. So that's it, guys. We're going to say good night and take care. Have a great weekend wherever you are across the uh, across the globe. And uh, we're all on the screen, so everyone can see us on there. So give everyone a big wave and say goodbye. See you, guys. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. Right. Great it. work, yeah. Carlos. I done it. Good uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Oh, cut that off. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I just sound so surprised. Like you did a great job there, mate. Oh, but, uh, t I, honestly, I've said this before, but you know, it, it is quite. A lot to do when you know Matt does this, sits here and does this while we're doing a show, and yeah. I'm sitting opposite there, you know. But you've got you've got how many here? You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven different. Uh, actually, no, there's more than that. Two, four, six, eight, ten. There's twelve different boxes that have all got different.
bits in them that you have to load up and then fade across when you're trying to do the show. Plus operate Skype and switch between Nev's camera and, and Micah's camera and um, and make sure you've got the right ones on at the right time. And it, it, it takes some doing. You know, I, can, I can see why um, Matt sort of prefers just to press buttons rather than, uh, than chat, really. <laughs> Yes, and why has the occasional meltdown as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I should have probably asked you this earlier on, but uh, did you press the record button? Oh. oh. Darn I don't it. know. Oh, thanks, Tony. Thanks, to Tony. Tony has said seamless. So my, my uh, analog tape deck was backing it all up, so we're okay. Yeah, I love I've been, <laughs> I've been looking at that behind you there. Keep twizzling around. It looks so cool, Nev. So cool. Oh, dear. But, Actually, um, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff's in the chat room. Did Jeff miss the, the Mad Dog story? Yes, he did. Uh, he wasn't in there for that. Oh, Jeff's got to go party. I think he means potty. Hmm. He means potty, I think. Delta P. Delta, yeah. Yeah. He's got to go. Got to go. Gemma's actually just before we finish the show. Gemma's just just gone to pick up the Chinese from Halston, so she'll be about quarter of an hour, twenty minutes, quarter of an hour. So um, yeah, we commented on that, Jeff. Uh, the, the the story was there, and uh, I think we said they should go listen to APG to find out what it really means. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, so dear. yeah, good. Um, oh. Next week, um, I have got a work function, so I shan't be around on the mm. Friday. Yeah. On the plus side, however, uh, Nev's passenger experience uh, will feature a chap called Peter James, who's the managing director of Shaw UK, the people that brought you the Shaw SM58 microphone. Wow, the classic vocal microphone. You heard it here first, guys, because this won't go out in the light in the in the cut. So yeah, who those in the chat room will you know now? Yeah, that's it. He, he sounds like a man I really need to thank for something, Nev. I'll just let it go with that. So. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh no, it's so, been good. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well, I'm going to um, I'm going to cut the uh, live stream now for everyone who's in the chat room, um, so uh, I can uh, get all this amazing equipment packed away. I did actually get a picture from Matt just before we finished the show. Um, Matt managed to... Um, I think he hung his phone out of the window and got a, a near enough 3G service and sent me... I don't know if you guys can see on there. There's... Um, I'll, I'll turn it that way. There you go. There's a picture there of the caravan where Matt is. And oh, yeah. he's, got, he's got the TV on with uh, the PTUK yeah. on oh, there. So, excellent. yeah, he managed to catch... I think he said he managed to catch 10 minutes before his um, <laughs> his connection died. So, uh, oh, yeah. Well, anyway, did very well. So we're going to cut the stream then to, uh, to the chat room. So thanks again, everyone, for joining us in the chat room. You absolute bunch of legends, you. Don't forget to keep your eyes on social media. We'll, um, we'll put the links and stuff to next week's show, which uh, should be a Friday... Um, yeah, might, we, we might we might adjust the show to, so we can um, tie in a bit better with Nev. So uh, we'll see how we go. Anyway, so from me uh, here in the PTUK kitchen studio, and from Nev and from Mike, a good night chat room. Take care, everyone. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Have a nice weekend. Bye. Good night.